Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river and really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. Romans chapter 6, we're going to be in the second half of that chapter, beginning at verse 15 this morning. And uh, it's been several weeks, of course, since we've been in Romans, so you may have forgotten um, some of where we were. Uh, we, we talked um, at length about this dialogue that Paul is having with somebody about, um, about understanding uh, how they should live, what grace means, should you just go on sinning because... Uh, grace is uh, grace is present in your life, and grace covers all sins. And we continue with that discussion even this morning from Romans chapter six, and um, then over the next several weeks, continue on through chapter seven and eight. As we do so, let's pray for God's presence and His power in uh, in our hearts through His Word this morning. God, we give you praise. We give you praise because we can hear these stories of your healing and your presence in the lives of so many people. And we think of Sandy specifically. We think of Angel. We think of the Zavenbergens. We think of, of Renee and um, Joy. We think of so many others who have known your presence and your power in their lives over this past year. They have seen, Lord, you come and you make yourself known in a very, very powerful way. Lord, may all of us know that presence. May all of us seek you out where you are at work in our hearts and in our lives. And we know, Lord, that you do that through your word. Your word is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. It shows us, Lord, what it is that we need to know to fall more deeply in love with you, to understand more of what it is that you are doing in our hearts and our lives. We pray that you continue that work in us today, Lord, through this part of Romans. Lord, may you move us to uh, really submit to you as our master. May we understand that, Lord, we do live in a world where there is a one side, there is one side or there is another. To be a slave to the world and to be a slave to you. And Father, may the movement in our hearts and in our lives move us towards you. Move us more deeply in love with you. Move us more deeply to want to serve you and be obedient to you. We praise you for what you have done and what you are doing, what you will do. And we pray, Father, that you do that in us today. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus. God's people said together, amen. I think you guys have been sitting for a little bit, haven't you? As we read God's word together, would you just stand with me for a moment as we are mindful of the word's power in our hearts and in our lives. From Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin 
which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When we're kids, we get excited about certain things that come into our life, and we, get, we can get pretty fixated on it. Over the last maybe year and a half, two years, how many of us are sick of listening to the music from Frozen, for example? Our children, yeah, Joel, thank you. I know, you would probably on like repeat over and over again in your house. We, we have these things in our lives as children that we get sort of fixated on. Frozen was one of them. For me, when I was in high school especially, it was exotic cars. I got really, really excited about, about cars and really high-priced performance sports cars. In fact, if you went into my room at 27 Homewood Avenue in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada, you would have seen my entire room plastered with posters of cars that were starting at like $50,000, and that was in the late 80s, so you can well imagine how expensive those cars would be today. Porsche 911s. Ferrari 308s, Ferrari Daytona Spider. I was really excited when they came out with the Ferrari F40 because it was braking over 200 miles an hour. Porsche 959, Aston Martins on my wall. All these different incredible cars. My favorite and my dream car actually was a car called the BMW M1. And it actually wasn't a sports car in the sense that you would see these really low, awesome, you know, sculpted sports cars that would drive down the street. It was more of what is called a rally car. Those cars that drive off-road at like 120, 130 miles an hour going through dirt roads and twisting in backtracks. If you've ever seen it, it's a really insane, crazy sport. And I got really excited about these things. I would read Car and Driver and Road and Track. And if we were ever going through some place and we saw an exotic car, I would know exactly what kind of car it was. I would know generally within a few thousand dollars how much it costs to have that car. And I knew exactly where I was going to put it in my garage when I made a hundred million dollars. Unfortunately, well, maybe fortunately, that hasn't happened. But it consumed me a lot. I spent a lot of energy on it. 
reading up on these things. I knew what, 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 uh, what sort of torque engines had. I knew how many cylinders there were. I knew how many cubic inches engines were. I knew everything about these cars. I spent money on getting these posters and magazines. It became a fixation. It was something, frankly, that at least for a short time, ruled me. Something that really, it became the focus of my life and I just began to think, how am I going to make enough money to build the garage that can hold all of these cars so I can park them and enjoy them and drive them and do all the things that I wanted to do. That happens to all of us in some ways. We can be ruled by different things. We can be ruled by something like I was, just a, an idea of a, some dream. We can be ruled by relationships. We can be ruled by addictions. We can be ruled by our work, workaholism, those sorts of things. We can be ruled by many, many, many things. And our text this morning reminds us that that rule, that authority, that power in our lives is a very real thing, even if we don't necessarily acknowledge it. In fact, Paul makes it clear in his text this morning that he gives to us in Romans chapter 6 that really, in essence, we are ruled. The question very simply is, what is it that we are ruled by? That's the question that we pose today. Let's begin by looking at verses 15 through 18. I'll read them again. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now, Paul, right from the beginning, he's addressing something that's pressing and poignant for all believers. Who or what will you be ruled by? There is really, as he puts it in front of us, no choice. You will be ruled. It's just a question of what it is that rules you. Now, a word very quickly about slavery in the time of Paul's writing. Now, for us, we think of slavery in terms of North American Western terms. We think of the African American slavery of the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries. Certainly an evil that God be praised he has dealt with on some levels. We still have a long way to go. But in the time of Jesus, slavery actually was a very different institution than that idea of 17th, 18th, and 19th century slavery here in North America. Slavery in the time of Paul was a slavery that was often entered into very much by choice. In fact, if you wanted to uh, increase your position, increase your education, increase your wealth, you could choose to enter into a relationship of slavery with someone who could benefit 
you. In fact, there were people who were in the upper class of Rome who offered themselves as slaves to Caesar's and other rulers so that they could increase their position. Now, certainly that wasn't the case for all people. Some were slaves because their country, their countries or their land had been conquered and so they were taken over as slaves. But you could actually work off your slavery. And that's oftentimes what happened. If you were given a certain coin, that coin meant that you were now a free man or a free woman. And that is something that you could earn after 20 or 30 years of work for somebody. In fact, there's statistics that show that a half to even two-thirds of the people of Rome and surrounding countries at one point or another were slaves and many of them chose to enter into that slavery. Now understand, when you enter into a relationship of slavery to someone else by choice, your choice is, how am I going to serve? Am I going to serve wholeheartedly? And am I going to serve in obedience? Am I going to serve half-heartedly? Am I going to serve, in essence, being selfish and doing my own thing behind my master's back? So this is the context in which Paul is writing about slavery. Where you understand as a reader that you have a choice on how to serve your master. You have a choice on how it is that you engage in that slave-master relationship. So that's the context for these words that Paul is putting in front of the Roman Christians. And he's challenging believers to understand that you will be ruled by something, but... Christ has set us free from sin's ability to rule over us. We get that from verse 18. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So in essence what Paul is saying, folks, there is a choice. You have two masters. You can serve sin as you once did or you can serve Christ as you can now. But really... As Christians and as followers of Jesus, there really is only one choice because the power of sin to be a master over us is gone. And so now there really is only one master for us to serve, to follow. If we think about it and if we engage in it, because when we think about it for not very long, we know that there are many times, don't we, when we continue to serve our old selves, our sinful selves. When in our selfishness, we choose to ignore the fact that there really is only one master for us, but instead we forget all that and we go back to the way things were. We live in our own hearts, minds, desires, passions, addictions. Paul is putting it in front of people. Guess what? You need to know something, and if you live into that knowledge, it's going to change how it is that you serve your master. But if you forget it, and if you are ruled instead by your passions, not knowledge, passions, then you go down a road that's very different. 
And at the same time he's doing this, Paul is challenging believers to consider free will. Verse 16 says this, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness. Verse 16 puts it out there that we have input into our response to Christ's work. Obey sin or obey God. There really is an activity that we can be involved in. Now, let let me just talk for a minute about something that I often, maybe I've just coined the term myself. I don't know if it's fair or not. It's called reformed fatalism. And reformed fatalism is the idea that God is in control of everything. There are no random molecules in the universe. He has a plan specifically and uniquely for all creatures, all people, and there is no way to step outside of God's will. That's reformed fatalism, which says, it doesn't matter what I do, it's within God's will. That was within God's will. That's what he wanted me to do. I could take something, throw it at you and say, reform fatalism, uh, that's what God called me to do and that's part of his will. This text challenges us to think about that and reminds us that certainly while God has a plan and a purpose for all people and all creation, that's not the world that we understand nor live in. I'm not God you need to repeat that self. Repeat that to yourself regularly. I need to repeat that self, that to myself regularly. I'm not God. I don't know all of His plans and His purposes. I can only live into what He has called me to do today. That's my free will. That's where I have choices. That's where I can choose to obey sin's power in my life, or I can choose to follow. Jesus. You can't just simply dismiss it and say, oh, God's in control. That's that whole thing right at the beginning. Shall we go on sinning? Well, that's in God's will. and He forgives it all through his grace. I can do whatever I want. What does Paul say? By no means. No way. You, in thanksgiving for what Christ has done in your life, have a choice to respond to Christ's work in you and to do what it is that he calls you to do. That doesn't save you if you do it. His grace is what it is that saves you. But your response, my response is key. As believers, we know that our master has changed. The challenge for us is to live into that change and acknowledge our new master and do his bidding. And that's hard stuff, especially we think of this new year and the resolutions. I'm going to change some things. I'm going to do some things. Guess what? You have the power in your free will to engage in that sort of thinking, and that's okay. That's not stepping outside of God's will. We simply understand that as we do so, it's the spirit at work in us moving in us in that direction. But again, that's not my world. My world is simply to make choices about how I'm going to live. Am I going to live into the knowledge that Christ has redeemed me or am I going to live into the passions that I have in this world and live towards sin? Let me put it this way. LeBron James, okay? One of the greatest basketball players on the planet right now. 
And I know many of you would argue about how much of a goof he is or how great he is or how bad he is, whatever, okay? For the sake of argument, let's just talk about LeBron James's reality right now. Now, about, uh, I think it was about 10 years ago, he came into the league. And who did he play for when he first came into the league? He played for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And about six years later, he made really what was a tragic decision in how he made it, not the decision itself, but how it happened. He made the choice. If you saw it on ESPN and you remember that time, you know it was sort of a ridiculous uh, PR fiasco. He went on television and he said, and I think his words, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach, where he plays for the Miami Heat. Well, he did. Because last year, his contract was up. So now he gets to play for the Cleveland Cavaliers again. Which makes sense because he's from Akron, Ohio. It's his hometown. And he likes being there. Now, a couple weeks ago, I think it was maybe about a week ago, the Cleveland Cavaliers played the Miami Heat. And unfortunately for my illustration, LeBron didn't play because he's injured. But if he had played, the coach from the Miami Heat could have come up to him before the game and said, okay, LeBron, here's what we're going to do in order to make the Miami Heat win. And, of course, if we heard that, we would say, well, that's certainly ridiculous, right? Because LeBron James doesn't play for the Miami Heat. He plays for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He would listen to what the Cleveland Cavaliers coach would tell him about how the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to win the game. He would completely ignore any desire that the coach of the Miami Heat or any of the players of the Miami Heat would have for his, how it is that he would play. That's the idea in terms of serving the masters. LeBron James would choose because he is now serving the, I guess, the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers and their fans, and no longer serving the owner and the fans of the Miami Heat. He would choose to serve the Cavaliers. For us in this life, well, we've been traded. It's a beautiful trading. It's a grace-filled, love-filled trading. We've been traded from sin and death into hope and life through the grace of Jesus Christ. And since we have been traded, our choice then is to serve the one who took our contract And forget the old contract with sin and the world and to now play for the team that we're really on. But that's the challenge. And unfortunately, there's still some of us oftentimes who choose to make layups on our own basket. (laughs) Because we forget. We forget what it is that we know that we are on the team that Christ leads. That Christ transforms us more and more into part of his team, his kingdom. And he calls us simply within his kingdom to be a good player. To be a faithful player. To be a love-filled player. 
verses 19 through 23. Let's read those a second. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is making it clear that this living as slaves of Christ is a process and it takes time and it takes work on our part. And that's especially when we look at the beginning of a new year. My hope and my prayer for myself is that I am not the same follower of Christ. I'm not the same team player at the end of 2015 as I am now. That Christ works in me to grow that process of becoming more like him. What it is that we call in the church, sanctification, becoming more like Christ. It's a process. And so for us, when we think about ourselves and we can condemn ourselves because we're weak, we're foolish, we still make mistakes, it's certainly fair for us to be convicted by our own sin, but rem- for us to be reminded that this process continues in our hearts and our lives. Now this is in contrast to 17b talks about one wholeheartedly obeying the truth. Now, quickly jump back. I just want to highlight this. It says there, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Now, the reason I bring that up is because when we read that wholeheartedly obeying, we think, wow, that sounds like a work that's complete. That sounds like a work that is completely finished. And what's interesting is that this is one of those passages where people have lots of different opinions which means commentators get ticked off at each other and submit their own opinions. So I can read a lot of different books and hear a lot of different opinions about what wholeheartedly obeying these teachings is. So I have to make a choice as a preacher and as a student of scriptures. Here's my choice. The one that I find most helpful is that believers embraced grace. They acknowledge grace for what it does. Grace's power to bring them from one team into the other. Grace's power to change them from death into life. That's what they wholeheartedly embraced. The wholeheartedly followed that teaching. And now they have to grow into living into that grace. Now the process begins. Process begins of growth. Process begins of learning, being challenged, being a part of things that would help them understand more fully what it is that God called them to do. Entering into spiritual disciplines, regularly reading scripture, being a part of worship, being a part of learning. And then verses 20 and 21 are a reminder and a warning Once we were free of the rule of righteousness, before you knew grace, maybe you know when that time is, maybe you've been a follower of Jesus all your life and you've never known that time, but before you were slaves to righteousness, none of that stuff had power over you. Why? Because you hadn't changed teams yet. 
But the problem is, before you change teams, all that stuff, all those behaviors, all those things that people still do, all those things that, that, that consumed us, our passions, our addictions, all those sorts of things resulted in some stuff. Things like pain and brokenness, addiction, fear, and ultimately death. And the truth is that so many of us know that. We know it personally. We know it poignantly in our own lives. We know the power of sin in us when we pursue its pleasures, when we pursue that selfishly. But now we're on the other team. Why would we go back to the things that bring pain and brokenness, addiction, fear, and death? The warning is that unless we live into our new servanthood to Christ, that these consequences will revisit us. Only one master gives life. Remember, there's one or there's the other. There's no in-between. Every single person on this planet either serves one or the other. They may deny that. They may not acknowledge it. But it is the truth that we understand about this life. You can only serve one. And if you didn't know it already, the power of the one, if you know Jesus, is already gone. So there's only one master to serve. But that's up here. We got to know that. And then live into it. And verse 22 shows us then the blessing of God in Christ. Holiness isn't just about purity. It's also about freedom. It's about life. It's about hope and joy. Without the burden of sin, we can be who we really are. When you and I live into this new identity as one of Christ's team members, that's who we really are. That's the truth. If we forget it, we're living into a false identity. You may think that you are an addict. You may think, how many times have I said it in this church? You may think you are a sinner. But that's not your identity. Your identity is part of God's team. The saints, that's what they're called. You're on the saints. And that's who you really are. And notice finally in 23, our serving God is a gift from him. It's his work in us for the wages of sin is death. But the gift, something given to us by God through his power and his strength, that's his work in us. Okay, so what? Now we got this text. Although we know the grace of Christ, our struggle continues as we grow into serving our true master. The process that many of us, we're far along that road. There are many of you who have known that road for a long time. And you have grown and you look back at your, your, you look back 20 years ago when you first started following Jesus or 30 or 40 or even 50, 60, 70 years ago. And you think, what a foolish team member I was. I had so much to learn. And I've learned many, many things about following Jesus. I've learned gratitude. I've learned charity. I've learned love. I've learned what it lives it means to live a joyful life. God be praised for that. But you know what? If you're not dead, your journey isn't done yet. 
You still have process ahead of you. 2015 is an opportunity for you to grow into new areas of following Jesus. And some of you are new in the process. Some of you are learning. Some of you are wondering what it is that God is calling you. You're trying to discern what the future looks like. You're trying to discern how he has gifted you and fit you into his plan and his purpose to grow his kingdom. Within that, play on your team. Listen to your coach. Listen to your team members. Gather with team members and practice. One of the most frustrating things for me as a pastor, I'll tell you, is that I see people who are infant Christians who've been part of the church for 40 or 50 years. That's frustrating to me. And you know why that happens oftentimes? Because they don't practice. Because they don't work. They don't spend time actually thinking about what it means to be a team member in the kingdom of God. And yes, Christ does that work in you. But part of it is you choosing. I'm choosing to serve my coach, my master. The one who has called me to be a slave to righteousness. Perhaps 2015 is a year for you to get up off of your keister And get in the game. I know that there's places where I need to do that. I know that there's places where God calls me to be a part of his team in a new way. He wants me to learn a new skill, a new ability. That means practice. It means I have to work. And if it doesn't happen, we experience the pain of sin. Because remember, there's only two masters to serve. And if we're not serving this one intentionally, inevitably we serve the other. We serve our own selfishness. We serve our own desire to be lazy or serve our own desire to serve our addictions or our passions. And there's pain, there's death that comes to that. When it does, we know the blessing of holiness. And that's not just for us. It impacts those around us. When we serve our master, Christ does something in us to change us and move us more fully into who he calls us to be. And that impacts the world around us. You grow in love? Well, people in your family are going to see it. You grow in your gentleness? People in your workplace are going to see that. You grow in your whatever. It impacts the world around you. That's part of why God calls us to serve him as master. And our prayer then is that Christ comes and grows his rule in our lives as we in gratitude live out that obedience. I was thinking about this at length for the last couple of days. I've been... Um, Kristen and I went to spend some va- vacation time over in Huntington with her family. And uh, it was a good time, but the problem is, is it takes a little while for my mind to shut down from things. And I'd just written the sermon before I left, so I was thinking about it as I was sitting around the pool looking out at the beach. Tough life, right? Great. And I was thinking about it this way. How do I better serve my master? Well, if you've ever seen someone who is a, um, maybe in our culture we have to think in terms of more employees, or maybe we think of in terms of marriage, okay? A good marriage 
is oftentimes marked by this behavior. A good employee is oftentimes marked by the same behavior. They don't wait for a need to come up in order to try and meet it. You know what I'm saying? Like a husband doesn't wait for his wife to say to him, we haven't gone on a date in three months. We need to go on a date. A husband anticipates that and says, honey, it's time for us to go on a date together. An employee doesn't say, uh, uh, doesn't all of a sudden jump when a good employee doesn't all of a sudden jump when the boss comes into their office and says to them, I need these reports because I have a meeting coming up. We talked about it before. A really good employee will say, oh, I have those reports taken care of right here. Here you go. It means that that person steps outside of themselves into another's mind, another's heart, into another's needs. And when I thought about this, how do we serve our real master in 2015? I, I, I think that's a good standard, a good question for us to ask ourselves. Whose mind are you in right now? Are you in your own your own needs, your own passions, your own desires? Are you thinking about what it is that Scott wants right this minute? Or are you stepping out of it? And the first question that we would then ask is, what are God's needs? Well, God doesn't need anything. What is God's call on me right now? And then by extension, it extends to others. Here's how I think it goes. We ask, what is it that God calls me to do? The second one would be if we wonder, okay, well, if God doesn't speak to me and show me what it is that he calls me to do, then I can serve my spouse because that's the next level of a relationship and that honors God and gives glory to him and shows my master that I want to serve him. What is it that my spouse wants, needs right this minute, right now, today, this week, this month, this year? What is it that my children, that would be the next level. What is it that my church, and what is it that my neighbor's community, and then finally, what is it that the world needs? Asking those questions and finally realizing for us and ourselves, we're down here. It doesn't mean that we simply let the world walk over us, we let our spouse walk over us, we let our coworkers walk over us, but it does mean that in order for us to serve our master, we step outside of our own minds, our own heart, our own passions, our own desires, and say, what is it that another needs? One of the best arguments, let's say, for example, let's just put this in a for instance, one of the best arguments that you can have as a spouse Sounds something like this. No, we're going to do what you want to do. No, we're going to do what you want to do. No, I'm going to serve you. No, I'm going to serve you. That's a great God-honoring, master-serving argument. 
And as we grow in those sorts of things, stepping outside of our own passions, because that's this world, that's this sinful world, that's the old master, and step into, Lord, what is it that you call me to do? What is it, how is it that you call me to serve my spouse? How is it that you call me to serve my family, my church, my neighbors, my community, my world? And then, Lord, what is it that you call me to do as I serve myself? As we do that, our growing as a team member comes. We see God's work in us and the kingdom grows through us. To that end, let me pray for you and I as a community that we see that work more and more in our lives. Let's pray. We praise you, God, because this is work that you do in us to move us from our own passions and desires to seek your kingdom first, to serve you fully and completely as our master. Father, may our hearts and our minds step out of our own passions and desires, our own selfishness, our own wants and things that we want for ourselves. Step outside of that and instead serve you. And oftentimes by serving others, we're serving you more fully. Lord, may that be our desire to see you grow as our master so much that we anticipate even your call in our lives. We don't just sit back and wait for that call to come. We step forward in faith, understanding, Lord, that you do have things ahead for us that are beautiful, that are life-giving, that bring hope and joy, bring purpose. Lord, may the desire of our heart be to move towards that out of gratitude for what your grace has done for us. We pray these things all in Christ. Amen.